0: Just consider the privilege that is ours to sing words like that. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Here we are more than 2,000 years after Emmanuel has come. And it's on a beautiful December day that we are gathered here for this commencement ceremony, and everything is right about that. The graduates gathered here before us, arrayed in all of their academic finery, that there's something very, very right about this. The congregation gathered to observe and to celebrate, believers understanding what is taking place here, the moment that we are observing together, there's everything right about this. And I want to set your minds at ease about something else, one of the happiest parts of what is taking place by God's pleasure right here, right now, is that there are little people in this room. (laughs) You may have noticed them. Uh, We are glad they are here. So uh, mothers nervous about your children, understand we understand them to be children. And unless there is some massive cacophony the likes of which the world has never yet seen. (laughs) We just want you to know that it is glorious that there will be children here who do not yet know all that they are witnessing who one day will say, I was at that commencement ceremony in December of 2018. There's something glorious about that. It isn't accidental that there are decorations indicating Christmas at this time of year. There's something special about commencement for the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary this time of year. The spring graduation is so large, we have to go out onto the lawn, and there's something unspeakably glorious about that. But there's something right and historic and glorious about this. Here we are as as the Christian church is about to celebrate. Christmas, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, there's something about this time of the year that, that even the most ardent cynic cannot fail to recognize. Even if they do not share our faith, they understand that we know more and celebrate more about Christmas than the world around us. Where in the Bible, we need to ask, is the Christmas story? Where is it to be found? Understandably, The instinct of most Christians is to turn to the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, where the historical accounts of the birth of Jesus, the coming of the Messiah, are to be found. Matthew grounds the story of the birth of Jesus in the genealogy of the Messiah, the king born as a baby, a baby in Bethlehem who would rule on David's throne forever. Luke tells us the story before the story, the account of the promise of the angel to Mary and then the birth of Jesus. Matthew tells us of the Magi and Luke tells us of the angelic host, that host appearing and then the angel of the Lord announcing to the astonished shepherds, "'Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord.'" Both Matthew and Luke tell us that the Christ child was conceived by the Holy Ghost. In his gospel, John reaches even further back declaring that Jesus the Christ is the Word become flesh, who was in the beginning with the Father, but who was not only with God, but was and is God, the divine Word through whom the world was made. John will tell the Christmas story in the most climactic prose And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only begotten Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. But Matthew most emphatically takes us back to the prophets and to the promises of the Messiah, down to minute details as revealed in the Old Testament. In the truest sense, the entire Bible, from Genesis to Revelation is the Christmas story. Rightly understood, there is no text in all of Holy Scripture that is not related to Christmas as promise, fulfillment, gospel, and future promise. Consider just nine verses from the prophet Isaiah chapter 11. This is Isaiah 11, verses 1 through 9. and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. In that beautiful prose, almost poetry, the prophet Isaiah tells of the promise that will come from the stump of Jesse. Israel, having been described as a dead forest, will be saved by a branch from Jesse who will bear much fruit. Isaiah is speaking of Christ, the Messianic king, who will reign forever from the throne of Jesse's son, David. No one but God can bring new life, New hope. No one but God can bring salvation. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon Him, even as we know of the Holy Spirit descending like a dove, resting on Jesus, and the voice of the Lord declaring, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. We are told of three dimensions of what it means for the Spirit of the Lord to rest upon Him. Here in Isaiah chapter 11, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. Do you not hear there the refrain from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7? For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth and forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. His delight, we are told, his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord, the awesome knowledge of the one true God and the reverent worship that such knowledge produces. His delight shall be the delight of His redeemed people, and the fear of the Lord will be made known to all. He will judge in perfect righteousness. Every human judge is limited to what he sees and hears, but the perfect judge, the messianic king, will judge in perfect righteousness for the wicked. His judgment is indeed a terrible swift sword. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. You're not likely to find that messianic promise on a Christmas card. Just think of this. You open the envelope, you pull out the card. I don't know what picture you would put on the front of the card. But the message therein, he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked." Merry Christmas. (laughs) That text is not sung in Handel's Messiah, but this promise is central to the promise of the Messiah, perfect judgment, perfect righteousness, perfect peace. And those who understand the Scriptures understand you cannot have perfect peace without perfect righteousness. And you cannot have perfect righteousness without perfect justice. And the Messiah who will come, the Messiah who is here promised is the one who is and the one who will bring all of these. There's more in this passage, of course. The Prince of Peace will bring peace. What kind of peace is this? How perfect will that peace be? How will we know it when it comes. This is some of the most beautiful language of the Bible, it's some of the most unexpected. And speaking of the little people in the room, the little people in the room will understand what is being depicted here. We have lions, and leopards, and wolves, and lambs, and young goats, and calves. What a story. What a promise. The wolf will dwell with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the young goat. The calf and the lion are all together in the peaceable kingdom. Through the prophet Hosea, the Lord made a promise to Israel. It's one of the most often forgotten promises that God made to Israel. In Hosea chapter 2, verse 18, we read, And I will make for them a covenant on that day, with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things of the ground. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land, and I will make you lie down in safety." Just imagine the reversal of the curse that we see here. Let it settle in on your minds. God will make a covenant even with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens. And here's the oddest thing. God is going to make a covenant, we are told, with the creeping things that creep upon the earth. Indeed, even the creepiest of the creepy things of the ground until the fullness of the kingdom of the… Until the fullness of the kingdom of Christ comes, and I mean the fullness of the kingdom of Christ, until this promise is fully realized, the lamb had better not trust the wolf. The young goat had better know that the leopard is not yet his friend. The fattened calf had better understand that the lion is looking for calories, not for companionship. (laughs) On the other hand, nothing but the messianic reign can explain the wolf and the lamb, the leopard and the young goat, the lion and the calf in common rest. In common peace, in common trust. On that day, carnivores will kill no more. The world will no longer be divided between predator and prey, those who live by the law of eat or be eaten. The text goes on. Do you understand how long the text continues on this theme? It tells us not only will these animals so unlikely to be paired, the, 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 the wolf and the lamb and the, 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 the leopard and the young goat, the, the, the lion and the fattened calf. We're not only told that they will rest together, we're told that they're going to share a common diet. The bear will graze just like the cow. The lion will eat hay, just like the ox. And in one of the most beautiful pictures in Scripture, this beautiful portrait, their young, their babies will lie together. They'll lie down together. And what are the creeping things? They're still here. Just remember the curse in Genesis 3. Just remember that creeping thing that was given the curse that it must forever creep down in the dust of the earth. But what about the creeping things? Even the creepiest they show up here. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. Please do not try this at home. (laughs) Not until the Lord comes to establish His kingdom in fullness. In this age, keep your babies away from the cobras and your toddlers from the adder's den we are not yet in that peaceable kingdom but but here's the thing one day we will be on that day israel was told jerusalem will be safe no one will hurt or destroy on the lord's holy mountain all will be well all will be safe all will be home and a little child shall lead them a little child. In the prophecies in Isaiah concerning the coming of the Messiah, perhaps in retrospect the most shocking part is that the promise is a baby. It's a child. It's a... Israel was looking for a warrior king who would show up as a warrior king, but the promised king who would rule forever on David's throne shows up as an infant And a little child shall lead them. Remember again the promise of this child. We've already heard it. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God. This child is going to be called the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. This child... Upon his shoulders, what will rest? Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. But, But notice how our text in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 9, ends. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. The absolute climax of the passage is a vision and promise of the earth filled with the knowledge of the Lord. Totally filled. Utterly filled. Awesomely filled. Perfectly filled. The earth filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Remember a crucial point here. We stand on the other side of the coming of the baby laying in Bethlehem's manger. We stand on the other side of the birth of Jesus Christ. We look back at the birth of Jesus, not forward, but we are still looking, remember? We're still looking forward to the fullness of these promises, to the coming again of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We are truly in the time of already, but not yet. But do not miss that we can already see the kingdom coming. We see the kingdom coming every time a sinner comes to saving knowledge of God, to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, to know redemption and the assurance of the forgiveness of sins and the gift of life everlasting. We see the kingdom coming with every conversion. We see the kingdom of God coming. We see the knowledge of the Lord filling the earth. Today we are gathered for a momentous and consequential ceremony a commencement ceremony, a graduation service, before us we see the incredible sight of these graduates arrayed in their academic regalia. Most commencement ceremonies are now, in today's culture, ceremonies in name only. There is a minimum of ceremony and a rush to hand out diplomas to do a bit of congratulating and then get on with it, whatever it is. But not so here. Why? Why? because we know that we are right now witnesses to something glorious. We're witnesses to God sending forth preachers, giving pastors to Christ church, scattering missionaries to the end of the earth. Let me tell you something that will warm your hearts here among us, even in this room. And, and we know only in part, but we know in part already in this room There are friends who have come to be with us today from Croatia, from China, from Korea, from Africa, from Colombia, from Canada, from Germany, and parts beyond, all here to witness something this glorious. We are even today seeing the promise of what we know will come when the whole earth is filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Graduates, we celebrate you today. We celebrate with you today. We celebrate for you today. Yet, we are here quite eagerly as witnesses to the promise that God is fulfilling through you. Go into the pulpit. Go into the nations. Go into the highways and byways of life. Go into the hospital. Go into the homes. Go into the graveyards and let the whole earth be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. Preach the gospel to everyone, everywhere. Use words. Christ sends His own out as sheep into wolves. Go anyway. Some of you will never see one another again in this life, so look each other in the eye And take each other by the heart. Go wherever the Lord opens the door, so long as it is day. Preach the word in season and out of season as you go. You leave this campus with the hopes, the prayers, and the love of this faculty and this family. You are always at home here you will be forever a part of the family of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. But here, we need to remind ourselves we are never truly, finally home. One day we shall surely be. And this we know. On that day. On that day when we are truly, finally home. On that day the entire earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Go in God's grace. Go in our hopes. And even so, Lord, come quickly. Amen.